Welcome to the Teacher Squad podcast, episode 14. 14. I'm going to think about diaries that are kind of a loose-knit fit. Mm-hmm. Ooh, nice. I'm going to be thinking about uh, pyjamas for CPD. And did you know, Heather, that if you've got books in a room, it doesn't make it a library. It's more than that. Too true. And we're going to talk libraries and we're going to talk reading for pleasure with our wonderful guest, Martin Galway, for the Literacy Trust. It's so good. Let's get started. Woo! Jane, they're what? like buses. We waited for ages. And then this week, our inboxes have been inundated. We've had an email. We haven't had an, an email, Jane. We have had emails in the plural. Oh, my goodness me. How exciting. I'm not sure if you've read them. They've been, you know, addressed to both of us. So can I, can I tell you, Anne? Yes, please. And yes. just inform Amy of who's in the gang as well. Lauren emailed just to say, I'm inundating your inbox. Oh. That's all she emailed for. And then Sarah said, look what's happened. And she also had a wrapped up Spotify where her top podcast as well. How nice Aww, is that? Thank you for that. That's gorge. And then I'm just going to read this tiny little bit from Barbara because, to be oh, honest, a little bit of something in my eye when I read this one. Your generous laughter and wit throughout and your warm caramelly voices reading wintry extracts of comfort and strong poems of gentle men were true soothers for the soul today. Oh, Barbara, that's gorgeous. I mean, we waited and then some really good ones came. So (laughs) do you know what that means? What? It means we've got Riz. (gasps) Oh, I know about Riz. You you do know where it comes from, don't you? Charisma. Yes. Yeah. We like like the etymology. (laughs) Yeah, it's the Oxford word of the year. And uh, I think. Think we've got it, Jane? Yeah, well, I hope so. I hope hope we've got Riz in, in the educational world. I'll tell you what, this podcast, Lark, has uh, sort of been really good for me because I'm a bit dark and a bit grumpy and I've got a talent for noticing the crap. And, um, you know, you know when you've just painted I'm not I know I'm going all on about Farrow and Ball but you know a shade of grey a, a glimmer of grey and then somebody where chinks, are we heading with this Jay? <laughs> I don't know but they chink <laughs> they chink the chair in it and they've like you've got a chip in your in your new painted kitchen and oh this is do you know I went to watch six <gasps> it is oh, I love it I, it's utterly phenomenal, isn't it? It's just like a a powerhouse of femininity and like the oh. lyrics. Oh, it's amazing. And then it's I'm just so thinking, good. other than I can't enjoy that wave for too long because I'm thinking, actually, I don't think there's any more musicals left that I'd like. There's only the <laughs> cringe ones. 
You know what I mean by the cringe ones. You know, there's like some really good ones. So yeah, and there's a bit of damp as well that's coming through in my shower that is getting on my nerves. But you oh. have taught me um, to keep looking. If you can't find the joy, uh, you've got to keep looking. And I think in this podcast, we're really trying to build a bit of kind of a manifesto of joy. And um, <laughs> I realise I get a lot of my joy from kind of looking at other people and um i particularly love people who on a wednesday insert any other boring day uh where they've kind of given it large on kind of serving some sort of look like they've got a really kind of smoking outfit you know like statement glasses or something a bit kooky like a brooch or they've done something foxy with their hair and a lot of back combing you know or they've artfully clashed their shoes and their bangles and I met a teacher this week I mean this is a strong look isn't it and uh, she was actually really fed up but her whole outfit said zing (laughs) <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> but she had 1880 denier cerise tights and nice. electric blue shoes. Yes. That's a strong look, isn't it? <laughs> but and I loved it. It's like so vivid. And um, I like a crazy tie. I like, um, there's a lady in our local petrol station who is full on kind of 1940s. She's got a victory roll in, like a matte red lipstick, um, you know, like a gingham blouse. And I I love Britain as well because we just, we ignore everything, don't we? hey, I'm here to tell you that I seriously appreciate it. You know, I appreciate your look. Keep bringing it. Love it. And what have you been grateful for um, this Um, week, Heather? uh, Before I tell you my gratitude, Jane, I'd just like to say I have every admiration for those people who absolutely go for it. I wish I could be one of those. Maybe I need to take that inspiration and pop some statement items into my uh, wardrobe next week <laughs> a raspberry beret honey a raspberry beret oh I like the way it sounds <laughs> <laughs> what am I grateful for well Jane I was invited to a lovely a very 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 informative virtual conference on the 5th of December by the empathy lab so educating for empathy nice. uh, so very, very grateful to be invited to that. But it kind of made me think about um, virtual conferences and the benefits of them. Um, I, I, you do some virtual conferences as well, don't you? So I wonder whether you reap the benefits when you're delivering them as well, thinking it's brilliant that you can just roll to your computer, no travel. Yeah. That's a bonus. Absolutely. Uh, there's no queue for the toilets. I mean, us ladies, you know, we've always got a queue, haven't we? You don't have to be first to rush out. That is a bonus. You can have your dog with you. True. Share your snacks with them and nobody's going to judge you. I mean, I didn't, but you could attend in your pyjamas in your bottom half, couldn't you, if you really want to? I'll tell you what, I've picked up some lovely pyjamas lately. I just want to have a shout out to George Asda range of jars at the moment. They are rocking. Anyway, that's a side slice. Yes, yeah, sorry. Heather. Are they are they conference worthy? <laughs> yeah, they're so amazing. Yeah. 
Oh, brilliant. The only thing was, uh, on, the, on the day of the conference, I ran out of tea bags, so it would have been better to have been at a conference, you know, with a nice tea, coffee spread and pastries. Um, but you can stack your dishwasher in the lunch hour, you All know. You can have tuna and stink and nobody's going to moan that you've stunk the stuff room <laughs> out. And, uh, and if you've got any of those awkward moments, Jane, you know, when you've got those bits of flobbing yeah. on your face, just, yeah. you know, camera off, none of that, so... Yeah, oh. I was quite grateful for the benefits yeah. of of a virtual conference. It was Very good. Chill. Yeah, yeah, good. Did you have your slippers I... on? Do you do slippers? Well, I've got a really posh, nice pair of slippers that my husband bought me. They were my shop pair of scissors when I had the bookshop, and now they're in the uh, the packing unit. So when we're packing everybody's Reader Rock subscriptions, I have my slippers on them. But at home. I like I, I like to just you know let me toes wriggle free. Yeah, yeah, nice. <laughs> Are you a slipper girl? Uh, I'm I'm always frozen, so yeah, I do have slippers, but I I also have about f- three pairs of socks or some like you know bed socks, and there's a lot of yeah, there's a lot of wool around me, you know, to get to me <laughs> to snuggle my skin. There's a lot of layers, <laughs> a lot of layers. Got to peel the onion. <laughs> Oh yeah. Uh, can I can I tell you about the conference, Jane? Because yeah, do. it was really good. So thanks Empathy Lab for, for having me um not in my pajamas. And I've got a sentence of the week about it, Jane, because it was it was really rich. There was a whole kind of ecosystem of the education, you know, uh team there there were teachers there were senior leaders there were researchers there were kind of authors and all kinds of different providers there so it it was great and I can't tell you all about it because it was jam-packed and brilliant um so hopefully I'm just going to pick out some little nuggets for you but my sentence is this and it it links really nicely um I think you used the phrase uh, last week about uh, themes emerging and I know you like to talk about that when you're delivering um reading training so it's kind of nice here's my sentence empowering children with empathy leads to powerful action Mm. so one of the first people who spoke on the day was Professor Robin Banerjee of the University of Sussex. And he leads CRESS Research, Children's Relationships, Emotions and Social Skills. Could have listened to him talk for a long, long time. Very, very interesting. But some of the key points so that mental health and well-being do not happen in isolation they are woven into our social relationships the core of how we interact with each other and actually they need to be and I really like this phrase fundamental to the core business of school life and he shared some bits and bobs of research with us about that early kind of social understanding leading to more pro-social behaviour and lower peer rejection and also better academic achievement. We have that kind of on, you know, the high agenda, but actually when that child, we know this, and it was yeah. just nice to hear it, that, that those um, links are there. He shared this brilliant um, social map of some uh, pupils that had been um, 
monitored for for research purposes and how they interconnected with each other and it really made me think about how we how we look at that with with our class I think I can't remember which episode it was but you talked about the importance of children's friendships and relationships and what might seem small to us you know it can be really vast to them um And Robin just said to us, you know, we need to pay attention to social relationships and empathy is really crucial to that. And we must resist the temptation to do it in isolation. It should be a golden thread um, and that we can all take advantage of empathy. A teacher that we we've got to invite on um, on here, Jane. You would love to chat about her. Um, she shared some of her empathy work. Kate Clark from yeah. Pembroke Dock Community School, um, yeah. using books to build empathy. Um, they'd used in their school the book "It's a No Money Day." You know, oh you know yes, one, yeah. You taught me about that Kate, book. Kate yeah. Milner, and uh, it was shared quite a few times actually. And their children really responded to it and they ended up creating these take what you need trolleys. Oh. Oh, absolutely gorgeous. She also talked about a situation at school where there was an immigrant uh, venue nearby and yeah. some rumblings in the kind of local area uh, protesting against it. And the school kind of tackled it head on with some books, an open discussion and what they called a don't hate, educate program. Mm. Um, And there were some other threads through the day when people were talking about, you know, what do we do when uh, this scenario is in our class? And actually a book can be a really safe space to have that discussion because it's not about the particular pupils who are experiencing it. They can talk about those characters um, and allow the power of the story um, to do the work. A big point was remembering that we need to know our class so we yeah. understand their situations and we need to know the books that we're using so we know what triggers there may be. Two authors were invited today. First, well, they were they were on together. First one that I want to tell you about was Hannah Gold. Yeah. You shared a little bit of one of Hannah Gold's books with us and you know the power of that. And she shared um, that she'd got a letter, not just us getting emails, Hannah's getting Hannah's getting letters with pictures and everything, Jay. Wow. But this this was a letter from Lucy. Yeah. And Lucy had been inspired um, by Hannah's books. And taking it upon herself to do a 4K run every week before Christmas to raise money for the WWF. Wow. And uh, it's inspiring the power of books, isn't it? Yeah. The other the other uh, author that was on was Rashmi Sirdesh Pandey and talked about her book that she's written in conjunction with the Empathy Lab. I've not seen this book, so it's on my radar now. I need to grab myself a copy called We've Got This, Six Steps to Build Your Empathy Power. So that's one to look out for. Um, so useful. So yeah. useful, yeah. And it's it's great to have it there as a useful guide for teachers for a, yeah. and pupils. So It's a No Money Day was shared quite quite a few times it's obviously a really powerful book and also the invisible by tom percival which i know you stunning. love as well S- yeah. stunning and there was some great work done by the people uh, sharing on the day 
but I will put it in the show notes. But the yeah. Empathy Lab have a collection each year, um, and they did talk through on the day. Um, I shared lots of tweets on the day, so if you have a look at, at my social media, you can have a look or the hashtag Educating for Empathy. Um, you can see there was discussion about how they select those books, what makes a really good book for empathy work. But if you go on their website and I'll share the link, they have some impact papers on there and they also have the empathy collection. Um, oh, and one more, one yeah. more. John Biddle from Moreland's, uh, yes. lots of people follow John. Yes. He was, I chose to go to his workshop and sharing some brilliant, brilliant work. But one that I really love, Jane, and I think you'd like this as well, particularly one of our running themes, Poetry Post. So every year they the children uh, write poetry and they handwrite it and decorate it. And then they go out into the community and post them in different oh, letterboxes. Yeah. And then they get messages back and they've got that gorgeous connection going on. So I thought that was a was really nice thing that people can do and link to what we were saying last week about, about loneliness. Yeah. Um, Sonia Thompson, head teacher of St. Matthew's Primary School, the uh, uh, research school was there and she shared this quote it was from herself and I thought it was a nice way to kind of round up the empathy lab work is school changing life changing child changing and potentially world changing oh yeah amazing all of those uh, people who were involved in that conference, though, have been uh, involved with promoting the power of books for many, many years, haven't they? But having to get them all in one place with your pyjamas on, Heather, you're, you're very lucky to be <laughs> invited. But what I reminder- needed to be was in bed and herkle-durkling <laughs> with them. <laughs> But that, Sorry, Jane. <laughs> that that interconnectedness about and actually, um, you know, um, our guest Martin, who's coming on later, um, you know, we've had conversations before about, you know, we must not forget about the whole child, you know, the cruciality and the entwined, you know, how entwined it is of how well people will succeed is how well they feel in themselves. And how yeah. how much um, support they're getting from from friends, and how they can feel seen. And um, one of the projects we're involved in with um, kind of fantastic foundations and getting children to to realise that when they come newly into a class when they're four, uh, we we work with reception teachers to use pieces of string to talk about how you know we 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 kind of connect with each other and that across these pieces of string we can have really um wonderful and beautiful conversations that make mm. us feel together and just at the end of the day showing how many times we've joined up with each other through uh conversations is kind of a very very important for four-year-olds uh to be able to see that that is what is making our classroom family so Absolutely. yeah um, I think sometimes as well, children's perception, they think, oh, nobody's spoken to me today or no, nobody wants to play with me and their per- perception might be slightly skewed. So if we've got a way to um, illustrate to them that they have got those connections and build yeah. their confidence in that way, it's really powerful. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And just going back to that idea of poetry in the community, it just really struck me when I, uh, during COVID, used to teach every day. And I think that the audience is going to be nine and 10 year olds who are going to rock up and write with me as the teacher. I used to have Malcolm who'd turn up every day. He was 89 years old. who would write because <gasps> it made him feel less lonely. And I just, oh. that's too much, isn't it? But it just reminded, like if we sent poetry out into the community, then actually there would be people out there who'd want to write back to us. Uh, yeah, we've got to we've got to do some things that are different, don't we? And we get a bit obsessed with grades and uh, yeah. results. And um, actually, the biggest result is if we all get on. Anyway, oh. <laughs> we don't have to get on with everyone though. I can still not get on with certain people. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'll be kind to them. I'll appreciate their green tights from afar (laughs) (laughs) have you got a sentence jane summing it up this week i have um my sentence is this um actually uh when you talk to yourself um you're being a well-being supermodel that you might not feel like you've got anybody to talk to or you're not seeing eye to eye with uh, somebody, but actually time to contemplate is really important. And um, I've been really interested uh, in this book for a long time. It's sort of been glinting on the side of my bedside cabinet for a long Mm. time. And it's called uh, Reimagining the Diary and it's by Lucy Kelly. And it's based on a project where she's asked teachers to use a diary to help them reflect uh, and have kind of reflective practice and okay. uh, and consider how they might um, kind of get through their job a bit better in many ways. And um, And in the book, it's quite obvious when you read it that, you know, just one day in the classroom leaves us with so much to process. And um, she is basically saying like the old bog standard dear diary approach isn't it, but that there is a something that we need to do to kind of individually and collectively kind of uh, construct some meaning from it so that we don't just hook onto the bad crap and, and we don't sink and uh, and uh, she talks and refers a lot to Virginia Woolf's conversations about diaries because Virginia Woolf says she thinks they should be like your old style desk where you lift the lid and you can chuck these things in or, oh. you know, or like a very deep hold all. Um, but this this space of reflection, you know, it's a mass of odd and en- odds and ends, isn't it? But it can help us file stuff and um, clean up our thinking and and what's going on. And uh, uh, Lucy Kelly really talks about that these diaries need to feel loose and a little bit like loose knit, I suppose, and, and a bit elastic. Um, but the more we deposit in them, the aim isn't like to get us down. It's almost like we start piecing things together. And they can end up reflecting, you know, the little lights of our lives, really. And uh, it can be very cathartic. Uh, they can be celebrations and kind of give us perspectives on things. And um, this this diary 
shouldn't be kind of our old traditional sense of it. You know, it can be very kind of scrapbooky, drawings, images, audio recordings, words, rants, but mm-hmm. um, kind of a multifaceted and multimodal space where we actually just give ourselves time and space to consider the things that make us feel better or what we'd like to do different. Or, again, I hate to say it, Heather, you're kind of always right. You know, we do have to. <laughs> I am Mrs. Wright. <laughs> Thank Perfect teacher right. name. Yeah. Um, you know, we've got to, um, if you can't find what we need to appreciate, we've got to look a little bit harder. And um, So have you had to go at journaling then, Jane? Well, Jane's I, journal. I, I write down, I cannot think without writing anything down. Um, I'm a massive fan of writing stuff down. I actually like drawing as well. Um, but I'm not so good at doing that beyond workplace thinking. I will write ever such a lot as I'm thinking about work and, and, um, like my background thinking to, you know, being on a working mission or, or, or creating something, um but as I get older I do find <laughs> in the back of diaries where I should be just telling me where to go or or actually what I find really interesting I'll go back into my notes I know you use notes a lot on your phone where I've just got these ramblings of a mad woman so <laughs> I do ha- I, I, I am beginning to as I get older starting to sort of brain dump um stuff but I feel like um, I do want to start doing that more proactively. And Lucy Kelly's book is, oh, just a really powerful way into that, you know, that actually what is that and, and how, it should, how we should value it. I think that's interesting because some teachers might think, I would like to do that. I can see the value in that, but where do I start? It's like that blank canvas thing. But if that yeah. book helps with an yeah. inroad to it and, a, and a, yeah. a way of doing it, that sounds really good. Yeah, it's a great book. It's a great book. I think you've got to read it and not guilt yourself out that you're not doing it. But actually mm. it has um, it has got me excited, you know, as a bit of a New Year's resolution rather than it being kind of, scribbled here there everywhere in the back of a phone like bits and bobs um I actually am going to probably more proactive see how I said actually probably (laughs) actually probably maybe never thinking about it (laughs) might not don't want to too scared okay thank Um, you (laughs) see we'll know next year if you've done it Jane because there'll be like epiphany and revelation and you know you'll be coming to us and saying (gasps) I journaled and thus it came. Yeah. Are you journaling, Heather? I'm not journaling, but I'm a bit like you. I kind of, I have lots of thoughts and I think the older I get, the quicker they flit out of my ears. So I have to grab them and yeah, sometimes they're a bit kind of disparate and, but yeah, I think that's why I'm a night owl though. That, that evening download that we talked about, maybe don't do it 
with my husband, just myself, just have a little mull. I, I think there think. should be, uh, I, I agree with that. I think, um, in fact, I think through our emails, I had an email that, um, which I didn't get um, shared uh, in the communal ones, but it was like, I think you saved my marriage because <laughs> I didn't do the 11 o'clock rant. I actually just thought about it before I did it. Uh, so I think sometimes to save each other uh, uh, and a togetherness, you have to do a bit of mulling before the have a have a load of yeah. this tsunami of crap. Yeah. Oh, speaking and, of mulling, Jane. Yes, um, we're getting to the season of. Are you a mulled wine or a mulled cider drinker? Oh, do you know what I um both. <laughs> <laughs> yes and yes yes yeah <laughs> hit me up with all of it I think at Christmas you just got to go for all of it don't you oh, but yeah, my absolutely. most favorite is um the specialist creams you know when you think sod it we're giving full-on Christmas but you know that quant quantro whipped cream and Bailey's extra thick Oh, but apparently, do you know what the? Did I tell you what the best mince pie is? There's this bloke no. who ate oh, sixty I... mince pies. It's the um, you think it's? I want to say Aldi. I'm not. It's the the bargain version of Waitrose, not their exclusive ones. But like Waitrose the Waitrose value. The, but Waitrose value are the best. <laughs> really? Well, there you go. I don't like mince pies. Oh. I'm oh. all for the mulled wine. I'm very much like a mulled cider. Mulled rattler, oh yes, love Ooh. it. But not the mince pies. You can have those. I'll let you. I'll share. All right. Yeah. Mm, interesting. <laughs> Are you or aren't you? Who knows? <laughs> uh, shall I tell you who we've got coming as a guest, Jane? Oh, would you please? I was so excited about this one because um, Martin Galway is, I'm going to call him a friend. He's uh, a character that we've both been together with at a couple of Reading Rocks events across the years and and kind of connected in the same way of thinking. So um, now Martin is the head of school programmes at the Literacy Trust. He is also a fellow of the English Association and he's a top Top guy, an all-round top guy. Good guy, good guy, yeah, definitely. Let's bring him in. So, Martin, it's so lovely to have you here, but please um, tell us why you love your job. What do you love about it? Oh, I love so many things. I know we're limited for time. Um, It's just wonderful to be working, you know, at such a well-established charity, 30 years strong and growing and growing in terms of the impact and reach that we're having. We're just, for one of my library stables, we're moving into Northern Ireland in the new year, which is just wonderful. And the people I get to work with, I've got the most incredibly committed team. I know I would say that, but, you know, when you go into a place of work and you think, where is the bad guy? Where is the bad guy? Somewhere. No, it's it's it just. It must be you, then, Martin. It must be you. You know me well enough. You know I've got a pure heart and soul, and um, it, I mean it's tra- it's draining having that, but <laughs> you know I've got the good conscience, and I'm just lucky to be surrounded by people like that, and I get to meet a heck of a lot of authors and publishers and booksellers and and illustrators and storytellers, and it's just. You know, people that are really invested in getting children that confidence and the opportunities that come from, you know, being fully literate or as much as they humanly can be. Wow. I mean, really, I think you've probably got the most important job in the universe at the moment. Uh, But what I see on the other side of it is just really strong 
powerful messaging and a real sort of leverage and a sense of direction about the things we need to do uh, in schools as teachers to make it better. I mean, there is so much to do, isn't there, Martin? Um, And Heather and I um, on the podcast already have already talked about some of the National Literacy Trust reports, but there's some very specific things that we want to know, isn't there, Heather? Yeah, I mean, they are so useful, those reports. And any teachers who've not hopped onto the website and checked them out yet, they really need to do that. But you are uh, very involved in the Children and Young People's report on reading. Um, What stood out for you this year, Martin? I mean, this was my first year of involvement because I've only been with the charity 15 months. And I mean, I have to quickly say, I can't, I'm pinching myself still that I get to work with Christina Clark, who's a research legend, you know, um, and to be co-authoring a report with her is just blows my mind. What really stands out, I'm afraid, is that the, it's the starkest set of figures we've had since the survey began. So we run the annual literacy survey, biggest survey of its kind. Seven, I think it was around 72,000 children. It's a bit late on a Sunday, so the exact figure escapes me. But <laughs> massive sample, and you get a lot of power from that, you know, children's and young people's voices. And we're seeing that it's now sunk to two in five children saying that they read for pleasure, they enjoy reading, um, which is seriously low, seriously concerning. And quite interesting because we saw a bit of a bounce back into particular years. 2016, the figures were looking healthier. So, and it's really weird because 2016 for me is the year that must never be repeated because it was the year of the TAFs and whatnot. Um, and 2021. So, it, it, interesting, you know, what was going on possibly around the pandemic and how yeah. that was translating into reading at home. But we've seen a steep decline since. And one thing that we want to pull out is, is that we've seen a decline in the gender gap. And you might think, well, that's good. It's not. It's going in the wrong direction. It's it's more and more girls not enjoying reading. And the other one is eight to eleven year olds still look relatively healthy when you compare it with, say, you know, children in key stage three, key stage four. But what we are seeing is even though the figures hold up relatively strongly within the pool, it's declining the most quickly. That particular age group. And I mean, any of us who spend a lot of time on X or Twitter, as we used to call it, know that there's so much great work around reading for pleasure, and you could almost be trapped into a bubble of not realising actually we still need to be working even more to get the preach the unconveyed essentially. Yeah, definitely. And that that decline, um, you don't just report on it, you kind of offer help and guidance at the Literacy Trust. So what yeah. what do we need to do? I mean it's it's desperate and it's sad. What can teachers do in, in their classrooms, in their schools? Well I just rattle off some because from that report of course, you know, we then go on to present and we also that research base informs all of our programs. So I'm lucky enough to be one of three heads of programs and I'm over reading, reading for pleasure, uh, teacher development um, and whatnot. And so, you know, we know that access to books is massively important, hence our campaign to get a, a good library provision into every every school in the country. We're working really hard towards that and we're making really great gains, you know, almost a thousand libraries. We're going to hit our thousandth library target sometime next year. And we're so excited about that because it's, it's almost a year ahead of schedule. Uh, and then it'll be phase two, which will carry on and take it even further. Uh, choice, can't stress this enough. Um, we run a young readers program because 84% of children indicate that when they have strong 
choice. You know, it's not too dictated by school systems. And of course, you'll have a degree of that in the early learning to read journey. Uh, if schools might use something like accelerated reader, there'll be a degree of that control. But if we don't build in choice and really think about what children want to read, we're, we're on hiding to nothing in the long term. Uh, role models, and that's adult role models, external role models. We know that author visits, which I know you guys have had lots of interaction with, really do help boost motivation because children suddenly see uh, books as this not so mythical thing. It's something that they can access, especially if you get yeah. a great author visit. Like you've had Matt Goodfellow on, and I know that he would be just blinding, having been a teacher, a brilliant writer, getting a person like that who can talk to children about what they do, open up that world of books to them really great stuff um, I could keep going on making sure that you're supporting parents in as many sensitive ways as possible we work across the whole country we've got 17 uh, literacy hub and we draw upon community leaders religious leaders so that sometimes where there's a threshold it's hard to get to where maybe there's barriers between school and home we work with the community to find that way in someone who's trusted someone who can spread that message and support people that very often reading for pleasure is less hard than it might sometimes seem yeah, I know down in Cornwall, uh, Joe Nucky is working in the Redruth Camborne area and doing some really brilliant things on that kind of very, very early talk yeah. Um, yeah. and getting to families at that 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 point, um, which, which is, is so great. Important. Yeah, because if we're going to be research informed, which, you know, everyone, the government, every, anyone that's made a name on Twitter want to claim, if, if we were really evidence informed, we'd be throwing so much more money at early years. And Joe is a, another one of those beautiful people who's doing wonderful work down there. So I'm glad you mentioned her. Yeah. Mm. Oh, this. Oh, Martin. It's it's so much information to think about, isn't there? And uh, I think one of the things that really struck me in the report is, uh, and this is uh, links on now into your your work around kind of libraries for primaries. Uh, you were saying that. You know, one in four schools in the most disadvantaged communities do not have a library and that actually it's the children who receive free school meals who sometimes do not own their own book. Um, yeah. Then put in the mix the cost of living crisis. I mean, um, it's books don't always become high profile in terms of what you're going to spend your money on. Um, mm. Like... How crucial is it? And are we, you know, how, once we've got this library, how do we make it happen? How do we get to these? I suppose the question is, why why aren't there libraries in the most disadvantaged schools? Why has that been not happened? I mean, I'm sure you're a bit agog like me, you know, when yeah. a library hasn't happened in a school. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's a whole combination of reasons, really. But I think, Ultimately, it's underinvestment over time. It's been, you know, yeah. we've seen funding diminish and diminish, stock uh, become outdated, not suitable. And then some of those schools may well have a room that has books in it, but that doesn't mean it's a library. A library needs to be an animated space, a space where children of every kind feel it's, it's their space and they're welcome to go there. Um, and I'm really glad you picked up on the, the book ownership question because that is something else in the reading report that feeds into one of the programmes that we run. So these are all funded. I hope everyone knows it's not a pitch on our part. Um, we want to get into as many schools as possible, but it, it's dictated by the funding we have. But Young Readers is all about training teachers in how to really help children choose books, choose great books, what choice is all about. And it's partly driven by, you know, 
accessing schools, but actually it's also driven by those stats around home ownership of books. And we know that the figures, in the same way that reading for pleasure has such strong correlations with wider attainment, mental health and well-being, I can't overstate that, it's really strong connection, uh, empathy, all these sorts of socially desirable things. That also is true of book ownership, you know, and it's not too surprising. If you're, if you're a reader, it, you, the more you read, the more you're able to access the curriculum in the widest sense. So programs like the Young Readers programs, uh, things like World Book Day, who we partner with um, on several occasions where they, you know, have, of course, a wonderful World Book Day giveaway of, of books that are, um, are funded for children to access. And I will just say, um, we often talk about the big figures, but some of the most moving stories since I've joined the National Literature Trust have come from those children who have received that book and just this week, actually, just this week, we got an email from someone. I think, and young readers team, forgive me for not remembering the number of years, but I think it was saying like either seven or eight years later, this person writing back to tell them how it still is this really treasured possession. So I just say to everyone out there, think about that book that really stands out in your memory. Imagine someone had taken it away from you. It never came to pass and you'd never gone on that journey. It's just so important that we get these, um, these books out there. And our communities team does very great book gifting work as well. So, I mean, the figures are in 10 millions, the number of books we've given away over time. I think what your comment there about books in a room are not a library, that yeah. really just struck a chord. And I know um, Heather works hard on this agenda about uh, making, you know, libraries alive and interactive, you know, and I went to visit a, a school recently where um, they had... Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this because I don't know if it's good for the planet, but they were laminated. (laughs) Damn it. I've got to ruin the story now, but they were laminated speech bubbles, um, you know, attached to a book, you know, with kids' faces on, uh, facing outwards, saying, you know, even if it was like from a kid in year one with a big smiley face on, you know, that there's this sort of outward talking that we are interacting with this space and place. Um, and uh, going back again there to something else she said, Martin, about um, the, the impact of reading. And I think it's really interesting because the, the DFE don't do this, but it's uh, the fiscal studies take um, SATs data from year six and have since time. And and basically they go back to these uh, children when they're 38 years old and ask them what they've earned. And um, it's basically the correlation, the children who do well in reading, um, and we're not here to advocate tests, of course, but actually just do well in reading are the highest earners and it does make you think sometimes what parents want for their kids you know parents say you know I want you to be all right in life you know it's yeah. that kind of we, we genuinely want you to be all right in life we want you to and that's what I mean books not only give you as you've said you know you know they make you feel happier they make you feel connected more empathy but actually you know they do give you kind of a financial kind of near yeah, to absolutely. go on and forward yeah. yeah, we've made economic arguments on that basis. I mean, I'm going to be really cheeky and just quickly waggle this. We've got loads of reports, so I probably won't know if we'll be able to get in the screen, but this one, Unlocking the Power of Reading from our Libraries for Primary Advocacy Report, it does tap into that economic argument, what you'd see in a generation if we invested properly in, in this agenda. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Before. We'll put that in the show notes. We'll put the put the link Thanks. to that so everybody can can have a look. Um, it struck me when you said about if we were really evidence informed. Uh, that that's really kind of played on my mind, and I think how when we think about parents and Jane saying, you know, what parents want and what kind of a school standard wants is different, and how we communicate that to parents of why reading is so important um has got it's got to be different hasn't it we've got to get that evidence across to them in a yeah. in a in a way that works accessible non-threatening and also lots of the softer stuff because one of the things that sometimes bothers me is i think when you say talk about reading for pleasure it sounds soft and it's far from it because you know the economic advantages that james mentioned the attainment advantages across the board Empathy sounds like, you know, maybe a soft target, but I mean, actually empathy also correlates with better achievement academically because you're able to resolve problems better. You're able to have relationships with people more effectively. It's not just, oh, I care about your feelings. I understand. It, it goes much deeper than that. Um, and, and so, yeah, it, re- it really is important that, you know, we're keeping all of those aims in mind. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder at secondary whether they kind of push that with pupils about we were talking about careers and career development, whether that conversation is had there. That just struck me then. Sorry, I threw that into the conversation. Mm. <laughs> it's, a really, it's, a, it's a really valid one, really valid thing to raise. There's so much to think about, isn't there, Martin? I mean, uh, there's so much to do. Um I think um, for me, um, and I don't know whether it's just because you're on board, I think the National Literacy Trust has always been good at um, messaging. But I think, um, you know, Heather and I know you because you have such a deep love for books and the empathetic power of them. I think the softer stuff is coming through um, since you've joined and and the softer stuff is just as important. We've got to value whole child and we've got to get rid of this obsession with kind of data crunching. We know that deep down and we need to find ways to show that we value the soft work that school is doing. That's why, you know, the system needs to change, um, you know, in terms of how schools are judged, uh, because uh, we know in the the best schools, uh, in terms of um, how they nurture children, that nurture um, is a, a very soft sort of interconnected um, cocktail of lots of things schools do uh, and we we know all of us in our work when it works um, one of the things I wanted to just make reference to because I know teachers are so busy and I actually hadn't unlocked them till recently but since unlocking them they're amazing um, I want you to tell us about the diverse libraries webinars Oh, they, I'm so, yeah, I love working on these. So they're, they're part of one of our library's programmes. So we've got a stable of programmes. We work with multi-sector partners, so corporate funders, uh, trusts and foundations, and then publishers and library sector partners. Too many to name. They're all listed on the Libraries for Primary website. But one mm-hmm. of them is the original programme that was launched with Penguin Random House, who co-convened the Libraries for Primary campaign with us. And it's called World of Stories. And part of the funding there, which comes from Arts Council England, um, is is given over to a series of webinars, three a year, one a term, always in the second half of the term, that are about 
like we spoke earlier, you know, a library can easily be a dead space. It could be a space where the books are just collecting dust and ossifying. And what we want to do is make sure everyone knows the library is for them because actually we found there's cultural barriers where people genuinely grow up not realising the library is a space for them. So the idea of diverse libraries is to look at um, things like representation in books, you know, taken from the wonderful work of uh, Reflecting Realities from CLPE, Farah Saruk in particular, and the, the colleagues that she works with. Um, and their recent report has just come out, so high endorsement of that in, in essential annual read. And we've just been able to gathered an incredible range of guests these webinars are free they're all on our, our diverse libraries web uh, webinar p- uh, page and we had uh, uh, focus on neurodivergence last year and in the first webinar we were joined with El- by El McNichols, Abigail Balf and Rose Rip. I always say Rose Ribbons I'm really it's, it's Rose Ribbons isn't it I'd have to check the Ribbons <laughs> name because I'm an old singer I'm so sorry out there please <laughs> check this on your website I, I was probably late night Sunday nerves um, and it was just wonderful, wonderful web, uh, webinar where they were speaking about their experiences growing up as uh, autistic readers and writers. And now yeah. the works that they do in books. We've had Patrick Ness, which I'm still pinching myself. Hero. Hero. He's on the list, is he on the list, Jane? Oh, he's on my list. <laughs> I mean, she's a big really fan. Such- uh, he, just, he was so important to have because I'd seen him do a uh, book signing and he said, people said, you know, cause he's really standing up for young gay people, uh, young yeah. trans people. And, yeah. and, you know, he talked about where he grew up and how important it was that he saw himself in books, how that kept him going. And so people and said, you know, how do you maintain hope? And he said, there's always going to be hero teachers, hero librarians that get the right book in the right child's hand. Yeah. Yeah. And I just and- thought, I want everyone to hear that because they're all tired. It's the end of the year. Do you know what I mean? And we just had a great one on Gypsy Roma Traveller background. So we're trying to cover as many bases as we can over time. Yeah. Uh, Patrick, I just Patrick Ness's. I mean, I, I, he's a he's an absolute hero of mine. Um, I, I often say when I read a book, is is it better than a monster calls? Because if not, I don't know. <laughs> you know it's like my bench. It's all order. It's all order. But his that book destroyed me. Destroyed me like in a really graphically ugly way. <laughs> yes. Oh, I don't think you ever recover after reading that. But he's a teenage read, different from boys, and just his. Um, his his kind of sensitive reflection about how he's, he knows he's dealing with really difficult topics and mm. he, how he shouts uh, very much for um, you know um, or you know trans rights particularly and I just think he's amazing as are all the people you've interviewed there and the fact they're free uh, I just um, and I've only recently discovered them and Martin they are they are wonderful they really are wonderful. And uh, just, it just, I'm just going to reference something you reference actually through those. And I was thinking about our ECT teachers um, who might, um, you know, we will know very well uh, Rudin Sim Bishop's um, uh, quote about what books are, you know, books are mirrors when readers see their own lives reflected in the pages and books are windows when they allow readers a view of their lives and stories yeah. that are different from their own but books can become sliding doors now we know this but not all you know teachers new to profession know that but I think if we have that carved on our bones in our work then you know um, we'll have we'll do good work with um, getting the message out there about the power of books. 
And, and the thing is, I'm just going to briefly dial it back to what you said about, you know, we need to change how we're approaching things, you know, that, that, that stuff that I might say could be seen as softies and, and female standards. You know, let's see, the reading framework that was republished has got in now a whole chapter on reading for pleasure. The introduction, or quite early into the, into the framework, talks about how important reading for pleasure actually is and the importance of children seeing themselves in books. So that's a bit of license. I know it's not statutory, but it kind of sort of becomes somewhat... Well, in the, well yeah. it does, Martin, because in the national curriculum, you know, it does say, and it should, I always said it should be in the Guinness Book of Records because it does say the the first statutory document that says love of reading. Yes. And, you know, that's what we should hang on to. And in there, everything should, and from it, everything should grow, yeah. you Couldn't know. So, yeah. Thank you, Martin. You've been a great guest. Before uh, you go, Martin, have oh, you got a book recommendation yes, for please. us? Yes, And our wonderful teacher squad. What have you got? I have got one, but it's, uh, because I'm moving, I'm actually moving house here. My library, this is my library. It's all packed away. I've had to print a picture off and I've been cheeky and put Candy Gourlay in the picture. So, oh, I have to judge her to get it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a wild song. It's a book. It's a really gripping book. Um, that is based in truth, it, it, lots of research behind it about a very strange um, series of events of displacement um, in, in in history where, where people were moved from their home place in the Philippines over to America for the World Fair. And it's just, it explores identity. It's so beautifully written. All of her books are. She's a fabulous person in her own right, and that's why it's nice to get a picture of her up. And it's, it's been out a little while, but I recently, I can't say which one, I recently nominated for an award, so it was in my head. Um, as one to recommend because I think it hasn't had quite the attention it deserves yet brilliant when it comes out as the winner we'll be like oh we knew which award he was talking about then (laughs) (laughs) and I've got to say as well it's Rose Robbins because I I was getting a bit flustered earlier trying to think of all the names so Rose Robbins (laughs) we feel terrible not getting it right Oh, you've been absolutely brilliant, Martin. We could talk to you about libraries, about reading for hours and hours, uh, but it's been fantastic. So thank you very much for joining us. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you both. You made me feel very at ease on a, on a tired Sunday with lots of work and lots of moving. So thank you very much. We're due to catch up sometime soon in the real world. Yes, yeah. definitely. <laughs> thank you, Martin. Thanks, Jane. Well, Heather, my wonder of words links beautifully with Martin's interview. And, um, you know, Martin talks about they can't just be kind of a room uh, where books are chucked into them. And I'm actually going to read um, a uh, the words of Kathleen Moran, who was homeschooled, actually. Um, she was a... Uh, she was a columnist for the Times and uh, she really bigged up her red brick building, um, Warstones Library on Pinfold Grove in Wolverhampton. Everything I am is based on this ugly building on its lonely lawn, lit up during winter darkness, open in the slashing rain, which allowed a girl so poor she didn't even own a purse to come in twice a day and experience actual magic, travelling through time, making contact with the dead, Dorothy Parker, Stella Gibbons, Charlotte Bronte, Spike Milligan. A library in the middle of a community is a cross between an emergency exit, a life raft and a festival. 
They are cathedrals of the mind, hospitals of the soul, theme parks of the imagination. On a cold, rainy island, they are the only sheltered public spaces where you are not a consumer, but a citizen instead. A human with a brain and a heart and a desire to be uplifted, rather than a customer with a credit card and a need for stuff. A mall, the shops, are places where the money makes the wealthy wealthier. But a library is where the wealthiest taxes pay for you to become a little more extraordinary instead. A satisfying reversal, a balancing of the power. She goes on to write more about libraries um, and there are many people who advocate for libraries and we just got to make sure they don't all shut and turn into Lidl's. I don't mind a Lidl, but, you know, <laughs> if they all close, uh, they're going to be, it's going to be very expensive to rebuild them and they might not come back. That's the issue, isn't it, Heather? Definitely. That was that was uh, perfection, that yeah. writing. I love that. Really, really good. Thank you for sharing that. And nice to kind of get the same themes as Martin and we were talking together. Um, my Wonder of Words uh, follows on from something that Martin was saying as well, which is kind of nice, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so Martin was talking about um, the work of Farah Saruk at the CLPE, the Reflecting yes. Realities Report. Yeah. Um, and I've been having a good old read of that this week. Um, I just highlighted a little quote from it, actually, and it said, the underpinning motivation of this work is to encourage publishers to produce high quality ethnically representative and inclusive literature to enrich the reading diets of all children. I think that goes with the library stuff as well, doesn't it? Yeah. I was also listening to um, the Island of Brilliant podcast. Yeah. I thought I've mentioned that one before. And the, the most recent guest was J.T. Williams. I don't know if you've familiar with any of her work I wasn't so I kind of had a little look-see she actually got a reference in the Reflecting Realities report mm. uh, for her Lizzie and Belle mysteries um, written by JT Williams and illustrated by Simone Douglas and it said it's a fast-paced high drama historical mystery adventure it's galvanizing spirit and considered substance demands the attention of the reader JT Williams is an important and promising new voice whose work adds much richness to the literary space she was a really captivating speaker on the podcast I was like wow I need to have a little read um of your work so looked her up and realized that I actually had some of her work in this book I don't know whether mm. you saw this book the very merry murder club so yeah. it's a collection of short stories which is great for this time of year isn't it yeah. when you just need a little kind of filler to to read but a good story nonetheless so it's edited by Serena Patel and Robin Stevens and illustrated by Harry Woodgate um so JT's work, her first piece was in this book. And Serena says at the start in her little editor letter, when I was a young reader, I realised now that I couldn't see myself as the hero of a story because of a lack of diverse 
voices in the books I read. We all deserve stories that we can see ourselves in and it's so important to be able to see someone different to ourselves as the hero too. The power of that is something I believe in so much. Um, so very important and mm. I thought I'd share yeah. a little bit oh, a, a little story about this book as well which is kind of nice I I, I did a, a little book fair at, at the local infant school last week a Christmas fair just kind of popped along and it's an infant school so I had loads of picture books and stuff out but then when the junior school time of the day ended I thought oh I had a few of those and popped these on the table because it was actually in our Reading Rock subscription box last year um and two young junior girls saw it like zoomed over to the table and went this was on my Christmas list we've been reading this in our class and I just thought that's amazing it's the power of the teachers sharing in the classroom and then another mum came over sneakily and said have you got any more of those that's on my daughter's list as well so cracking book cracking book um so the the little story uh, that JT Williams has written in this links to the Lizzie and Belle mysteries. It's the first outing for Lizzie and, and Belle at the end. So it's based in history. But what JT is doing is working against that erasure in history and writing about the, the, the black and brown people that were there. Yeah. Um, and right. so Lizzie is the daughter of Ignatius Oh, let me get the surname right. Sancho, who was uh, the first, he was an abolitionist and was the first black person to have a vote. Uh, so her, her adventures. But I was, I've chosen two little snippets from it, Jane. And um, the first bit is reminded me, you know, last week when you were talking about thinking bubble and you yes. talked about that extract yeah. when uh, the candy floss hair yeah so um there's a character called madame cerise mm. um and i thought you might um you might like this little bit my dear madame cerise papa mops his mahogany brow he does that when he's flustered your outstanding bill is considerably high not as high as that extraordinary wig. How does she hold her head up? <laughs> a man has to make a living, he reasons. I must ask that you pay for your goods with no further delay. Madame Cerise pushes her scarlet lips into a pout and pats the white rolls of that towering wig coquettishly. Clouds of pink powder puff into the air. Of course, Mr Sancho, but you must call me Hélène. She stretches out the name so that it sounds like Erlin. <laughs> Next week, you shall have your money without fail. We must all find ways of getting by, no? Judging from the expensive fuchsia silk ballooning beneath her fur-trimmed coat, Madame Cerise does not have to worry about getting by. <laughs> oh, there's, there's been a lot of reference to Cerise and fuchsia and powder puff pink. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, uh, spoiler alert, <laughs> Madame Cerise is not a nice character. No. Um, and I'm just going to skip right to the end for a tiny snippet. Um, so there's a poetess in the um, in this story, which I thought, oh, another one of our emerging themes. Yeah. Um, and this is the end, Jane. And she says, the truth 
is like a flame burning brightly in the darkness to show people the way to a more just and kind life. Lizzie, you have a special gift. Keep using your voice to speak out and help others to do so too. The poetess turns back to the crowd. Here, in this very corner of the park, everyone can speak their truth. Where there is cruelty and selfishness, let there also be kindness and courage. Where there is ice, let there also be fire. Mm. Oh, bold, strong read by the sounds of it. Yeah, really good writing and, and you know, a great voice. Um, yeah, and she's got some other bits and bobs out. She's got a, a black history book. Um, and I believe there's going to be a sunny murder book coming yeah. out next June. Yeah, People can keep an eye out for that. And actually, uh, a lot of our new authors have stood on the shoulders of giants, you know, and we heard this week, didn't we, about the death of Benjamin Zephaniah. So there's yeah. always work to do and things to consider. But thank you, Heather. Thank you for all of your amazing book insights. You, um, you really are at the cutting edge of thinking and putting stuff under our noses that we don't know about yet. And thank you for that. And um that's that's me now. I'm driving off to Wensbury. Yeah. Oh, that sounds like a fun thing to do. Don't you have a glass of Shiraz? No. You have to wait till you get to the hotel room now. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy yours. Uh, but it's uh, where are you going anyway this week? Anywhere? Where am I going? No, we're starting to get to a bit of wind down. Um, we've got some. Uh, well, they'll probably be out by the time that this podcast goes live. We, we took Martin talking about uh, those children who ha who don't have books of their own and your references. We have a, a schools can sign up to a pupil premium service and use their pupil premium grants to get books specifically chosen for those children so they can start building their own libraries. Um, and books are that's. That's our final kind of job to get out before Christmas. You say oh, job, I say gift. I say gift. Uh, yeah, it's a nice thing to do. And then another author visit thrown in as well. So, well, yeah, oh, busy, stuff. busy. We better well, get going. Aren't we? Yeah, we best get going. And it's big love from Heather and Heartbursts from Jane. See you next week for our Christmas special. Woo, exciting! <laughs>